Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. When I read the book of Acts, I'm I'm often challenged and reminded that all of us could probably use a dose of the mindset that was found in many of the first century believers. In many ways, and I can't speak for you, but I know in my own life, in my personal life and public service, I have, and I would imagine maybe sometimes you as well, have strayed incredible distances from our Christian forefathers in their commitment, their consecration, their passion, their focus, their mindset. In 21st century America, we seem to value comfort and convenience above just about everything else. It seems like comfort and convenience have kind of become our gods, our purpose, our end all. Think about the mindset of our culture. The more successful you are, the easier your life should get. The more luxuries you should be able to enjoy. What what is a luxury? It's just something that makes our life more enjoyable, more convenient, more comfortable. And in our mindset, the more successful you are, the more luxuries you're going to have at your fingertips, the more comfortable, the more convenient you're going to be. The more people you're going to have around you to serve you and to do the things you don't feel like doing. Let me illustrate. On Friday... We had a lawn guy come to our house to mow our 300-square-foot lawn. It's about the size of this wooden portion right here. And he pulled weeds in our backyard, and he blew off the leaves, and and, uh, it looks great if you come by today. And no, not, not one of the seven people, the dad being first there, did a thing to make it look that way. Why? I, it's convenient. It's comfort. I'd rather pay him 20 bucks a week than, than, than me figure out the time. Our, our schedules are busy. There was a time when I mowed the lawn every week, and, and my boys did when we, we lived, and then we moved here, and I had sold the lawnmower, and, and they had a gardener. We moved into the house, and we just kept the same gardener, and it was convenient. I didn't cancel him. We kept the same gardener the previous owners had and never went out and bought a lawnmower and edger. When we were in Northern California, I did it every week. My life has gotten more convenient in that way. On Tuesday, We'll have a pool guy come, and he'll check the water, and he'll skim the leaves out, and, and he'll make sure the spa's at the right whatever. Why is that? One, I don't know how to do it, but realistically, I don't want to learn how. And so I pay somebody to make my life more comfortable and more convenient. We have three car wash guys that wash our minivan. Their names are Titus, TJ, and Trey. Why? Because I don't feel like doing it. I've paid people to shine my shoes to press my clothes, to iron my shirts, to dry clean my dress clothes, anything to make my life a little more comfortable and convenient. We're bombarded with advertisements and encouragements to find an easier path. Go look at the bestseller list, the four-minute workout, the four-hour work week. All of these are real books, seven-minute workout, whatever it is. All these are real things. Here's an easy way to make your life comfortable, convenient, the four-hour work week. How you, can, how you can work four hours a week. And you know who is only working four hours a week? The guy that wrote that book. We're all looking for that shortcut, aren't we? 
It seems that comfort and convenience are the ultimate goal of 21st century living. Let me illustrate. How many of you have a mattress that you sleep on every night? I think that's probably all of us, right? Can I tell you, for most of you, it's not comfortable enough. And there are advertisements that will let you know. You need the one that you can adjust within a 1% of whatever your sleep number is. Zero to 100. And, oh, I didn't like 72. I think I'll try 73 tonight. And my wife and I can't have the same sleep number, so they, they, you can have a sleep number on each side. And we, have, we need a mattress that can go, and by the way, I'm not against it. If the church wants to give me a sleep number mattress, bring it on. Anybody in here, you have a sleep number mattress? I just want to know who I'm coveting right now and who I'm, who I'm envious of. All right, I'm not against it. But, but, but our, a mattress, it's not comfortable enough. You need one that will go to your sleep number and will recline to your preferred incline level and will heat up for you if you're cold and will blow cold air if you're hot. And while you're sleeping, will trim your toenails and do your laundry and all of these things. It's never ending. 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, what did a car have? It had an engine and it had a heater. And you had to roll the windows up and down and it might have had a seatbelt, it might not have, depending on how old it was. Now what do cars have? And I'm thankful for it. A heater and an air conditioner. And each side gets their own controls. That saved many a marriage, am I right? And you can blow hot air off one side and cold air off the other side. And then, I don't know when, somewhere in the last 10 or 20 years, they came out with cedar heaters. And so as if the heat coming at your hands and your face wasn't enough, you needed some for the other parts of your body to have some heat there. And my car, I don't drive a luxury car. It's a Kia SUV, five years old. And my car not only has a cedar heater, it's got a cedar cooler. So when I'm hot, it blows cold air on me. Not just from here, but in other parts there as well. And we've got, and I don't have this, but some of you have cars that as you're driving, it massages you. And now they're getting cars that will drive for you. The, the mentality of our culture is, and again, it's not all bad, but it's comfort and convenience. I don't know about you, I'm a little scared of letting a car drive for me. I haven't done it yet. And I understand technically that probably the robot or the, 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 the AI there has better responses than my human brain, but I just the idea of taking my hand off the steering wheel, reading a newspaper while my car drives me to work, that feels a little, a little weird. It's going to take me a while to get used to that if that ever becomes kind of the, the norm. But, but, but we're looking for comfort and convenience. You don't feel like cooking a, a four-course meal? Have no fear. There's a meal plan for that. You can order and a box will arrive on your doorstep with all of the ingredients prepackaged with the recipe card. 20 or 30 minutes, you have a beautiful four-course meal. That's too much work? Every restaurant around you, within an hour, you can have whatever you want ordered to your house. Back in the old days, we wanted something convenient. We had what we called fast food, right? And Burger King, they, their slogan, they literally went with the American mentality, or really the 21st century mentality of, of we want something convenient. And their slogan for many years was, have it your way right away. Let us, do, let us make your life comfortable and convenient. And now, fast food's too inconvenient. I, don't, I can't take the 10 minutes to get off my couch to go to McDonald's. I'm going to pay an Uber guy to bring me my McDonald's. That mentality, it's never ending. And we have fast food and convenience stores. And often our lives seem to be primarily centered on how we can make ourselves more comfortable and make everything more convenient. And I'm not against many of those blessings of 21st century living. I'm glad that I don't have to sew my own clothes and, and I don't have to make my own shoes. And I'm glad that I live when I live. I'm not sure I would have survived back then if, with, with the, the skills that I have today. 
But I'm afraid we have allowed that belief that everything should be comfortable and convenient to creep into the way that we live our Christian lives. That American mentality that the ultimate goal is comfort and convenience, we've allowed it to creep in to our understanding of what it is to be a follower of God. Well, God just must exist for my comfort and convenience. And he is at my beck and call to make my life better. And by the way, if you want to find preachers that will tell you that, there are plenty of men that stand up to purport to speak for God that will tell you, live for God and your life gets better. Live for God and your bank account gets bigger. Live for God, and if you just have enough faith, your life will get better. Now may I say, if you live for God, your life will get better, but not always in a way that is more convenient or more comfortable. And we've allowed this idea that the more successful I am, the easier my life gets to creep in to our Christianity. The more I love God, the easier my life will get. You will not find that message anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Jesus said, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That doesn't sound like my best life now. Jesus said, you will take up your cross and follow me. And we've allowed the mentality of my life is supposed to be easy and comfortable. And if it's not convenient or comfortable, we shy away from it. When do we attend church services? When it's convenient and it fits in our schedule. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. You're here on a Sunday. You've made God's house a priority today. And I'm thankful for that. And those watching online, uh, you've made it a priority to, to, to hear uh, Bible preaching. But when it's convenient, uh, we're a little tired from a long week of work. Well, God wants me to be comfortable, right? He'll understand if I just skip this one and, and somebody called to invite me out to breakfast. Well, God understands. I, I need to catch up there. And, and when it's convenient, God, I'll give you my time. And when it's not, isn't it interesting how easily we'll miss church when we aren't feeling well on Sunday, but that same physical infirmity won't keep us home from work or school on Monday. And by the way, I've missed church on a Sunday not feeling well, and our family and people in our family have. This is not a guilt trip. This is not if somebody, if you're watching online and you're home at sick right now, I'm not preaching against you. I'm talking about a mentality of we're so quick if God doesn't fit into our perfectly made plans to go with our other plans. Oh, get, stay up late or get up early to save some money on a TV on Black Friday? I'm all in. Get up a few minutes early to spend some time with God before I go to work? I need my beauty sleep. We're looking for comfortable and, 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 and convenient. When do we often give? When, when, when we have everything is looking good in our accounts, but all of a sudden times get tough in finances and sometimes our giving to God and to others is the first budget line item to go. Well, God forbid I make a sacrifice in another area of my life. No, God, I, I need to keep my life comfortable and convenient. As we turn to Acts 18, I, I want you to see the very different mindset that Paul had in his view of life and service as a child of God. The example of Paul and the early disciples of Christ shows a far greater focus on their commitment to Christ than their personal comfort or convenience. The example of Paul and the early disciples shows a far greater focus on their commitment to Christ than their personal comfort or convenience. Where's our priority? I want to bring you a message this morning entitled this, Commitment Over Comfort, or Commitment is Greater 
than comfort should be. Our commitment to the eternal is far more important than our convenience and comfort in the earthly. I want you to see it here in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. You follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to what city there, church? What city did he come to? Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, Paul was, with, with, with Priscilla and Aquila, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were what, church? They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there, how long, church? A year and what? Eighteen months teaching the word of God among them. This is the first time Paul stays for an extended period of time somewhere. And, and even just with that fact, it shows us much about his, his commitment over his comfort. His, his commitment to God over his worries about his personal comfort in life. And by way of, 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 of review, let me show the, the missionary map of Paul here. And we have uh, where we were in Acts 17. Uh, he had gone through Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. And you can see Athens there, kind of in the middle to the left there. It says Athens. And that little arrow to Corinth, that's about a 50 mile to the west little jaunt that Paul took. About 50 miles he walked over there. And he goes to Corinth, this port town. You can see on each side, you, you would have uh, commerce that would come from one side. And there was a little isthmus that they would at times take the boat, put it up on rollers, and roll it all the way across to get to the other side there. And so this was a port town, Corinth, this city. And this is where he is. He goes from Athens to Corinth. And in this passage this morning, we're going to see several things that Paul did. And, and the same things that I want to challenge us that I believe in 2021 committed believers will do. I'm not going to call on you to give up your sleep number bed. I'm not going to call on you to sell all your cars. I'm not going to sell my car. I'm going to keep using those 21st century conveniences. But I am going to call on us this morning to consider our mentality. I'm not going to ask you to live with first century technology, but maybe we should go back to some first century uh, mentality of what the committed believers of Jesus Christ had. Paul being a leader here in Acts chapter number 18. What does a committed believer, a believer that prioritizes their commitment over their comfort, what does it look like? I want you to see in verse number one, the first thing is that committed Christians will, are willing to minister in an uncomfortable culture. They're willing to minister in an uncomfortable culture. Verse number one. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. For us, words on a page. Two cities. Cool. Paul went from one city in Greece to another one. That, that verse doesn't really mean much to me. Paul went from Athens to Corinth. We don't understand, culturally speaking, what Corinth was, maybe. Maybe some of us do. 
But, but there's a lot packed into that one verse. Paul going from Athens, that educational, cultural center there in Greece where the Acropolis was, and Paul going from there over to Corinth, it might be like what we would say, Paul went from maybe Los Angeles to Las Vegas. He went from this one area that, that was not, not real friendly to the things of God, but he went to Sin City what we call Las Vegas. And by the way, there are wonderful Christians living in Las Vegas. There are wonderful churches in Las Vegas. But that is what Las Vegas is known as in our culture is Sin City. Corinth would have been the Greece's version of Sin City. It was a, it was a center of commerce. They had the boats. They had the, the sailors. The, 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 the business people would all gather and congregate there. It was the largest city at that time in Greece there. But Corinth, that little verse, he departed from Athens and came to Corinth. It shows us Paul's priority for his calling over his comfort because uh, cosmopolitan Corinth was also a center for immorality and debauchery of all types. Corinth sat in the shadow of, the, of Aphrodite, the queen, the goddess of love, where we get, we, we get a word that we get words that we'll use to this day that, that carry along with it, the, this idea. And Aphrodite in her temple, there were 1,000 priestesses that the way that they would worship their God is they would descend upon the city of Corinth at night to ply their trade as women of the night. This was, this was Corinth, just, just debauchery on every corner. In fact, we know that Paul, we're going to see here, God's going to do a great work in Corinth and many are going to believe but what we see when Paul writes back to the, the, the Christians at, at Corinth in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, what did he say? It is named, fornication is named among you commonly. He said these things shouldn't be. That, that, that culture they had grown up in, it was deeply ingrained in them. The, the, even after they got saved, they struggled in the church with immorality and with, with some of the grossest sins that are listed in any of the churches in the New Testament of the letters written to them. This was where Paul went to minister, a city that was so wicked that they literally, in the, in the Greek language, they made multiple words, nouns and verbs, out of the name of Corinth that to call somebody oh, he lives like a Corinthian. That didn't just mean, or he is a Corinthian. Didn't just mean his citizenship, his address was Corinth. What it meant was they were immoral, wicked people. To call somebody a Corinthian was to say that's a person that lives unbelievably immorally. To Corinthianize somebody would be to completely corrupt somebody. They, they had these, these verbs and these nouns that they made off of the, the name of, of the city. That was where Paul chose to go to minister. Paul willingly went into this city and actually ended up staying here longer than any place along his missionary journey. The first time he stayed anywhere for an extended period of time. And I want you to contrast that mentality of Paul to the mentality of many believers today. Are we running into the Corinth, the Corinthian culture of our day to share the gospel of Christ? Or as Christians, do we do we kind of shy away from that and run from it? Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we think we live in the most wicked time in human history. And that God's power is somehow limited in our generation because of the many who have rejected him. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes online, on social media, uh, uh, in person sometimes, I'll hear believers bemoaning the plight of America or, or the plight of liberal California. 
And they'll talk about, oh, I got I to gotta get my family out of California and I, I got to go move to another state and this or that. And I'm moving wherever and you can fill in the blank. And I'm moving to Idaho or Texas or Nebraska or Missouri or Florida or New York or whatever it might be. I got to get out of here. What are we communicating when, when we're talking about, man, I hate this place. I've got to get my family over here. What are we often communicating there? We're saying my comfort trumps all. I need to make my life as easy as possible. I don't want to live in an uncomfortable culture. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to move to Texas or Florida or Idaho or Nebraska. I'm not saying that. There are many godly people living there that God has called there, and they're supposed to be there. What I am saying is that we need to be honest. Are we prioritizing our comforts over our calling? As followers of God, the cost of living or the political leanings of a state should never be the primary factor on deciding where we live and where we serve God. Could it be, and those watching online, that God has placed those in this room here and those watching online, wherever you are, to shine as lights in the midst of a wicked city, in, a, in the midst of a wicked state, in the midst of of a wicked country, in the midst of a wicked generation, and if every believer moves out of hard places, whether they be big cities or godless foreign countries, how will those hard places be reached with the gospel? We need some people running into the corinths of our day and boldly preaching Christ, not running away from them as fast as they can. Who will go to Los Angeles or Orange County or San Francisco or New York or Miami or Chicago or Washington State or Portland, Oregon or, or D.C. or China or Vietnam or Nepal or Myanmar or Mexico City and the list goes on. Again, I'm not saying God will never call you to live somewhere else. For my life, God has placed me in the Bay Area, Northern California, in Orange County, Southern California. There may come a day that God leads our family to live somewhere else, but I pray if that's the case, it is truly God calling us to serve him somewhere else, not us prioritizing our personal comfort over his calling. I, for one, am glad that Paul ran into the uncomfortable places. You see, because the gospel came to America by, by way of some of the seeds that were planted in some of these uncomfortable cultures that Paul went in to shine the gospel boldly. A committed Christian will gladly minister in, in uncomfortable places. Be careful about our mindset. Again, have we allowed the idea that my life's supposed to be easy and comfortable to start to overtake every decision we make? God didn't place us here to live the easiest life. He placed us here to live a pleasing life, to share the gospel. Number two, what do I see? A Christian that prioritizes commitment over comfort. What will happen? Number two, they will be willing to make unconventional sacrifices. Look at verse number three, please. Verse number three, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, Priscilla and Aquila, and wrought, for by their occupation they were what church? They were tent makers. You know what? What, what, Paul is say, what the Bible is saying here as Luke writes the account? He's saying Paul was not only willing to go into an uncomfortable culture to preach the gospel, he was willing to sacrifice in order to do it. And where he went, he had a side hustle, if you will. He had a side gig. He had a job that paid the bills so that he could preach the gospel. Now, there are times in Paul's ministry where he is not bivocational. In fact, um, you'll see as you study it and cross-reference, uh, Timothy and Silas in this, in this passage, they come and they bring an offering from the churches at Macedonia. And when that happens, Paul's needs are met. He, he puts tent making to the side and he starts preaching the gospel each and every day. 
But when he doesn't have that support, he says, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody say that I'm only coming to Corinth to make money off these people. So I'm going to provide, I'm going to pay my own bills so that I can preach the gospel so that people see I'm not here to manipulate them for what I can get from them. I'm here to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to make those unconventional sacrifices. Again, I don't know about you, but God worked in my heart as I studied this passage. Sometimes I had the idea, well, that must not be God's will for my life because it's hard. Did Paul make any personal or ministry decisions based on what would be the easiest route? The answer to that is no. While he preached the, the gospel in the synagogue on the Sabbath, much of the rest of the week, he was busy uh, making ends meet with tent making and with Priscilla and Aquila working with leather and cloth to support himself. Between the years of 49 and 52 AD, Paul traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot and approximately 1,000 miles by boat to take the gospel different places. And by the way, the boat wasn't a carnival cruise with an all-inclusive meal plan. It was a boat that most of us would not want to spend much time on. So that means a 50-year-old man, somewhere around 50 years old, he walked the, the, the equivalent from Orange County to Tallahassee, Florida to take the good news to Jesus Christ. Don't you think, by the way, Paul, when he wasn't living for God before he got saved, he had a pretty comfortable life. He was the one putting Christians to death. Life was pretty good. He was respected. He was a rabbi of the rabbis. He was way up the corporate ladder in the Jewish religion. And you know what Paul said? He could have said, well, ever since I gave my life to Christ, this is how I get treated. I get beaten. I get stoned. I get shipwrecked. I get left for dead. I get run out of Thessalonica. Then I go to Berea, and they, those same guys come down and run me out of Berea, and then I end up in Athens, and, and, and then people leave me out, in the, out, in the, out there, and then I get to Corinth, and he could have said, look at this, but Paul said, I'm willing, I'm willing, whatever it costs, what you, you gave me the gospel, whatever it costs me, whatever personal sacrifices I need to make, I'm willing to completely surrender to you. Here's a great question for us as 21st century Western believers. When was the last time God's calling on our lives cost us anything? When was the last time any sacrifice was made in our lives to fulfill God's plan for our lives? I don't know about you, I live a pretty comfortable life. I live a pretty easy life. And I read this, and again, I'm not talking about just forced poverty for no reason. I don't think God is honored if we just, but I am saying, have I allowed the blessings and the benefits to creep in and make me think that's my right as a Christian? Paul was willing to make unconventional sacrifices. He was willing to work. He was willing to sacrifice personally and financially. He was willing to give no matter what it cost him. Are you? Am I? In his second letter to the Corinthians, which is the group of believers that got saved right here, Paul reminded them of some of the sacrifices he made so that they could hear the gospel. In, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? Speaking of false teachers. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? talking about the false teachers that had crept into the church at Corinth, he said, I speak as a fool. He said, this is dumb because I'm going to start bragging on myself. I shouldn't do this. I am more, 
Notice what he says now. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. Does this sound comfortable and convenient? In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I had been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Does that sound like a man that prioritized his personal comfort over his spiritual calling? And I ask us today, how are we doing with our mentality? Well, God, you just, you, you made things a little uncomfortable. We get mad and leave a church because somebody said something mean to us or about us. We stop going to church because we don't like the way somebody treated us or our, our family. And by the way, I'm not saying somebody should mistreat you or say something mean about you, but it happens. And, and we, this, something that we expected, I got sick and nobody visited me in the hospital. And the church ought to, we ought to visit one another in the hospital and care for one another. I think that's biblical. But, but we, so easy, I didn't get my needs met. I'm done with that church. I'm done with God. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with those people. Oh, oh, what if, what if Paul would have thought that way? I gave my life to God and this is how they treated me. I'm done with that, God. I'm going back to the Jewish religion. Something didn't go our way. I guess we'll go find somewhere else that'll meet my needs better. What happened to a willingness to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ, for commitment over comfort? What else will a committed Christian do? They'll be willing, number three, to preach an unpopular message. Preach an unpopular message. Notice verse number four. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks, those that were not Jewish. And when Silas and Timotheus came from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Again, if we don't read it really thinking about the ramifications, it's words on a page. Oh, that's neat. Paul told the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. That's, that's, that's good of him. I'm glad he did that. Here's the reality. Paul knew when he walked into Corinth that was an unpopular message. How did he know that? The other Jews that he had told that Jesus was the Christ to tried to kill him. Like we think, oh man, in, in America, and it's true, that the truths of the scripture and of Christ are getting less and less politically correct and less and less socially acceptable the longer time goes. And so we think, man, I've got to be careful what I say. Somebody on Facebook might not like that. Paul had to be careful what he said. Somebody in the synagogue might try to kill him. And you know what Paul did? He said, I'm not going to prioritize my comfort. He ran into Corinth, and what did he do? He went right to the synagogue and started preaching an unpopular message. He started telling the Jews that didn't believe Messiah had yet come, Messiah has now come. Not only did he tell the Jews, he told, not only did he tell the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, he told every one of the church members. And he's preaching an unpopular message. How do we know it's unpopular? Because in Thessalonica, they had to, they had to move him out uh, before he got killed. And then he got to Berea, and those same people came and tried to get him out. And other places, they took him outside the city and stoned him. And what did he do? The very first time it was uncomfortable to preach Jesus, if Paul cared more about his comfort than he did his consecration and commitment to Christ, what would he have done? He would have said, I'm done. But a committed Christian says, it may cause me some, some personal consequences, but I am going to preach an unpopular message. Maybe you're not this way, but I, I like to be liked. I like to be accepted. I like to be appreciated. 
I, I don't want people to think I'm strange. I don't want people to look at me in my neighborhood or on, online or, or, or in, in my kids' sports leagues or in, in church. I want people to look at me and, who is that crazy weirdo? What kind of weird beliefs does he have? That's not what I want. And I don't think Christians ought to be uh, overtly strange just for the sake of being strange. I don't think there's any, any benefit to just being a weirdo. But, but in our society... The truths of this book are becoming more and more foreign and less and less accepted. And we're going to have to decide, am I going to stand for an unpopular message or am I going to prioritize my personal comfort? We have children, some kids and teens in this room, and, and if, if God tarries in his coming as they grow and if God blesses them with children, it's not going to be easier to stand for the truths of Christ and Scripture. We're going to have to decide, are we going to be okay not being in the majority in our society? Paul was not in the majority in this, any society of any city that he walked into. The teachings of Scripture are not becoming more widely accepted. Are we willing to keep preaching? If we prioritize personal comfort, the first time we get any pushback to the truths of scripture, the volume's going to get turned right down. I'm not, I'm not taking that weird stand. And by the way, you want to find, you'll find churches all across our country and around the world that are willing to turn the volume down on the truths of scripture and the truths of Jesus Christ to be widely accepted in society. By the way, if the truths of the gospel are widely accepted in society, praise God, let's preach it. And if they're not accepted by anybody in society, praise God, let's preach it. I've told our staff, I've told our staff, I've said, if, if, if truth offends, that's fine. If our handling of the truth offends, that's not okay. We ought to speak the truth in love, but we need to make sure we speak the truth. Too often, Christians, the, the, the farther away our nation gets from some of our Christian foundations, uh, too often Christians are speaking in love, but they're not speaking the truth. Paul walked into a city, into a place, into a synagogue, knowing it wasn't a popular message, and he said, I don't care what it costs me, I'm taking a stand for Christ. Number four, what is a committed Christian? What does it look like? Number four, they will live in an uncompromising way. Verse number six, would you follow along? Let's read verse six aloud. Verse number six, ready? Begin. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Verse, the they in verse 6, and when they, that's the Jews that he had told Jesus was the Christ. When the Jews opposed themselves and blasphemed, what did he do? He shook his raiment. We might say it like this. Hey, shake it off. Shake it off. He shook his raiment. He said, I'm not going to spend any more time on this and your opposition is not going to get me off track. Your rejection of my message is not going to cause me to change my message. I am going to go to somebody else that needs to hear this message. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He said, you've heard the truth. Your blood be upon your own heads. It's a reference to the prophet Ezekiel. They would have understood this reference. They were Old Testament Jews. He said, you've been given the good news. It's your, it's your fault now if you don't accept it. I, my hands are clean, and I'm going to go preach to somebody else. Paul is saying opposition isn't going to get me off track. I'm not going to allow some opposition to cause me to compromise my beliefs. I'm going to, Lord willing, stay faithful faithful unto death. I'm going to shake it off and keep loving people. Somebody attacks church, stay faithful. Somebody leaves, keep serving. Somebody hurts you, keep helping others. There will always be more people to love. And as Dr. Raymond Edmond used to say to the students at Wheaton College, it is always too soon to quit. 
Paul said, just because my message isn't, isn't put on the front page of, of the Corinthian times, I'm not going to stop preaching my message. People may reject you. Partners in ministry may desert you. Friends may betray you. If you serve God for any length of time and God uses you in any way, you can expect opposition and attack. Spurgeon used to say, the devil never kicks a dead horse. But don't let any of that lead you to compromise your beliefs or your calling. Stay faithful to God and let him work it all out in the end. And then the last thought from this passage. How are we going to be able to do those things? What did Paul do? How did he remain faithful to his calling over his comfort? We're going to have to learn to trust an unfailing God. Look at verse 7, please. This is our last thought here. Verse 7, and he departed thence. And entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. I like that. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Where did Paul go? Next door. I'm going to keep preaching. You're not silencing my message. And by the way, God honors that faithfulness. And when he kept preaching, guess what happened in verse number 8? And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, that's not good for business, believed on the Lord with all his house. He went right next door, that, that house that joined hard to the synagogue, and the chief ruler was like, I like what Paul's preaching better than what you guys are preaching. That sounds like truth more to me than that. And he believed on God and his whole family got saved. Verse number eight, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Aren't you glad Paul didn't say, well, that city doesn't really want God. That city is wicked, one of the most wicked cities I've ever seen. I, I've been one time on Bourbon Street in New Orleans as a 19-year-old boy. It was, it, was a, a, it was an evening. I was there actually on a youth, uh, they had a youth meeting that I was there with the church. And we went to dinner right on the corner of Bourbon Street, and I remember the feeling as I got there, feeling like I, this, this feels, and at that time I was 19, felt like the most wicked place I had ever been. For me, personally, people were standing outside of these terrible clubs and things, inviting teenagers to come in, come on in here, come try this out, we got this, hey, won't you like this? And it felt like what I, I imagined Sodom and Gomorrah might have felt like, people just trying to entice you into sin. I'm not saying everybody that lives in New Orleans or Bourbon Street is all wicked. I've been there on the corner in one restaurant, but my walk to and from there as a 19-year-old young man, I remember that. I'm glad Paul didn't say, well, Corinth, it's the modern, it's the ancient day Bourbon Street or Las Vegas. I'm not going in there because there were many people that ended up letting their lives be completely changed with the gospel of Christ. Look at verse number nine. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Again, just because some people were upset, God wasn't done working. I've seen this in our church in my five and a half years here, where we try to stay faithful and maybe somebody gets upset about something. And we need to take inventory if they're upset because of something we mishandled, and we work on that. But maybe they're just upset and whatever in their own life. And I've watched God say, I'm not done working. But did you notice verse number nine? Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. What are the next three words? Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. What does it say there, church? Be not, be what, be not what? That's interesting. Why would the Lord come to Paul late at night and tell him, be not afraid? Why do you think that was? I don't think I'm reading too far into scripture to say, I think Paul was afraid. 
I think Paul was discouraged. Sometimes we think, well, I'm made of something different than Paul. He, those guys, those were the superheroes of the faith. They were made of something different than me, and he, he, had, a, he had a grit about him. He had, a, he had a passion about him that I just don't have. I, I can't really serve with the kind of commitment that Paul did. What do we see here? Paul, in the night at Corinth, needing God to come and minister to him. Hey, Paul, I believe maybe Paul was kind of like, is this really worth it? Am I making any kind of a difference with my life? Does this matter at all? Is anybody here going to get saved? Am I wasting my breath? I'm risking my life for what? In this city? Look at the, I, just walking back to Quill and Priscilla's house, I got propositioned 10 different times. What am I doing here? That's what I imagine. I don't know if that's all true, but I do know that God, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, left that verse in there, that the Lord came to Paul at night in a dark moment, in a lonely moment, and he told him, look what he said, be not afraid. Notice what he says, but speak and hold not thy peace. Don't prioritize your personal comfort, Paul. I, and then what does he say in verse 10? For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Are you struggling with doubt and fear? May I just say this morning, be not afraid. God is telling you, I'm not done working. I'm still here with you. I haven't lost my power. My plan is not thwarted. Do you see the hope in verse 10 that God gives to Paul? What did Paul have to rest on. He had, he had God's presence. He said, I am with thee. When you're afraid of what God's doing or, or what, what's happening in your life, rest in the fact of God's presence. I am with thee. He had God's protection. He said, I, I will not allow hurt to come to thee. We, and by the way, God allows different things, but there is nothing that comes into our life that is not filtered by our Heavenly Father. Rest in his providence and his protection. Rest in his promises. God is giving Paul some promises to rest in in his season of struggling and doubt and fear. Rest in his plan. I have much people in this city. In that one verse, we see God's promise, uh, his presence, I mean. We see God's protection. We see his promises. And we see he still has a plan. And may I just say to you and to, to everyone listening this morning, if you're struggling, you're fearful, you're afraid, you don't know what God's doing, you don't know what his plan, his path is for your life, be not afraid. Rest in his presence. Rest in his protection. Rest in his promises. Rest in his plan. You're discouraged. You're disillusioned. You're doubtful that God can use you and bless your, your future. Keep speaking. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep loving. Keep serving. Don't cower down in some corner and prioritize. I just got to stay, stay safe until God calls me home. I've noticed my own prayers and with my own children as we pray together, often I've noticed much of what we pray about is for our comfort and our convenience. God, keep us safe. There's nothing wrong to pray for God's protection, but it becomes the priority. God, keep us safe. God, help us not to get sick. God, help me to do good on my test. God, God, what, God would you be that genie in the bottle that makes my life comfortable and convenient? My own prayers. Not God, would you use me whatever it costs to make a difference in those that you bring across my path? God, what sacrifices do you want me to make? God, what pain do you want me to endure so that your name can be known? God, I don't pray those prayers too often, but I'm challenged to be more like Paul. According to an ancient story, Leonidas, the noble hero of the Spartans, 
who defended Greece from the Persians. They were in a battle against thousands of invaders, and one of his men came to him and he said, General, when the Persians shoot their arrows, there are so many of them that they darken the sky. To which Leonidas replied, then we will fight in the shade. He didn't say let's run from the attacks. He said let's keep going in the midst of attacks. Has comfort become your king? Go ahead, buy the sleep number bed. And if they have a buy one, get one free, give one to us. Go ahead and enjoy a week at that all-inclusive resort, but don't let your enjoyment of comfort and convenience to seep into your Christian commitment. Are all of our decisions made on what will make our lives easier and more enjoyable? I sure am glad the saints that came before us didn't make that their primary motivating force. Their motivation was the glory of God and the propagation of the gospel no matter what trials befell them, no matter what sacrifices that entailed, and no matter what discomfort they were called to endure. May God raise up another generation with that determination, that dedication, that commitment. Like Job that said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. My personal comfort doesn't matter. I'm going to stay committed to him. What did Paul say? He said, I would rather, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my personal comfort down here, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I am weak, my personal comfort, then is he strong. Christian, let's take inventory of our commitment. Are we truly surrendered and willing to give Christ everything, no matter what that looks like and what it means? Paul was. If you had to describe your life, and if I had to describe my life, what word would characterize it more, comfort or commitment? Comfort or commitment? May we be more committed to eternal labor than we are to earthly luxuries. May we be Christians who are defined by our commitment to Christ more than our commitment to our personal comfort. May our focus be more on the spiritual than it is on the temporal. All of us enjoy comfort. And I don't think there's anything sinful in there. Those are blessings of the generation that God allowed us to live in. Our family has heat and air conditioning, and we're going to use it. We have washers and dryers and a dishwasher, and we're going to use them. We have a car, and we're going to drive, drive it. And we've been to some beautiful hotels and resorts, and Lord willing, we'll go to more. I have a mattress, and we've had more than one mattress in our marriage, and hopefully I'll be getting another one someday. Not against any of the comforts or conveniences. What I am saying is, I've allowed some of that to seep into my understanding of God's calling in my life. God, if it's not comfortable or convenient, it must not be your plan. That's not what we find anywhere in Scripture. Is our Christianity costing us anything? Let's do our best, like Paul, to be willing to minister in an uncomfortable culture. Let's do our best, like Paul, to be willing to make some unconventional sacrifices while we preach an unpopular message. Let's do our best, like the Apostle Paul, as he did there, to trust in an unfailing God. And guess what we'll find? We'll find his presence, his protection, his promises, and he has a plan for the pain that's coming to our lives. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.